Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to the series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I'm very excited this morning to kick off a conversation with Ricky Novak, who um, has become a terrific friend of mine. And I always say to people, um, everyone needs a Ricky in their pocket. Um, I'll ask Ricky to introduce herself in a minute. But before we do, Ricky, I always remember the sort of sheer panic I felt at us first meeting or the sheer panic I was in when we first met. Um, I was sort of four years into my CEO tenure and I was invited uh, to deliver a keynote presentation in the US, uh, which all felt good until they told me it was 75 minutes. And uh, the cold sweat sort of came over as I thought, how on earth am I going to stand up and talk to an audience for, for 75 minutes? And you and I were introduced at that point and you just um, helped me build, um, I think, an incredibly well-received presentation on building transparent cultures and transparent leadership. And I can't thank you enough. And as I said, you've become a great friend since then. So for the people um, in the audience who haven't had the chance to come across you, Ricky, um, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you and, and those listeners today. And thank you, Melissa. It's, um, it's interesting when someone is asked to introduce themselves because um, we tend as women to err on the side of more humble leadership and humble introductions. And uh, I, I guess there's an opportunity here to um, tell you all about me, but what I really want to tell you is that uh, my passion for who I am and what I do is striving to help good people become great leaders personally and professionally uh, and reap the rewards in, in whatever those rewards um, are, whether it's commercially, whether it's through reputation, it's branding, whatever it might be. Um, I, I, I came from a theatrical background and I use a lot of theatre in how I coach, how I present and, and how I deliver workshops. So who I am is is made up of someone who's got a lot of energy, um, a lot of motivation to, to drive people to do their very best, uh, whatever that might look like, to trust, trust themselves. And um, to give fabulous feedback, Ricky. I think you are wonderful at giving very... Um, very direct, um, uh, you know, honest feedback to people that, uh, and you make it easy for people to receive that feedback. I think that's a real skill. Feedback is hard to deliver when it's contrived. And it's hard to deliver to people if you don't really know what they do or see them do what they do. And, and I know from experience in training for many years and in teaching where I first began, People want experiences more than they want explanations. So in giving feedback, what I love to be able to do is, is help people create an experience around what they've done, how they've done it, and that helps them receive relevant information that's contextual, to contextual to what they do, how they do it, and it makes sense 
uh, and it makes sense in, in a simple way rather than giving them a shopping list of all the things that they could have, should have, would have done, but it's not relevant often. So, Ricky, um, I was really keen to start, you and I have had many conversations around um, leadership and you introduced me to a book um, late last year called Positive Intelligence by Shirzad Shemaine. And um, before we get into a conversation about it, I guess I just wanted to kick off and say that, um, you know, you and I are both magnificent just the way we are. And it took me... <laughs> It took me a long time to be able to, um, you know, kind of uh, say that sentence or, you know, I'm perfect just the way I am. It took me a long time to kind of say that statement. And I think like so many other people, um, you know, all of us have feelings along our career journeys and the like of self-doubt or we lack in confidence at various points, all those sorts of things. And this book, um, I just found it really insightful into starting to, um, help people understand that we all do, we're not alone and what kind of sits behind some of that. I wonder whether I might ask you to just make some, some comments on it or just introduce it a little bit to us. Sure. Uh, positive intelligence is, is, it's like an emotional intelligence. It's around how we see ourselves and, and how we can be our very best um, and listen to the voices within us that that drive us for the right reasons and, and, and eliminate the voices that sabotage us along the way. Uh, and when I came to this, um, to this body of work, um, I came to it um, in learning how to use it for coaching for my clients because people come to me for all sorts of reasons, but one of the things that um, we often explore in coaching is how to be their best self when they, there's a lot of, as you said, self-doubt or they've got the imposter syndrome or they want to try something different. So which voice do they, is stronger and which voice are they going to actually listen to? Interesting, like with any body of work, I think, when you really explore it as a professional, you, you have a goal to be able to deliver this body of work to be a better coach for your clients. But there's always that lovely piece that touches you yourself to say, what am I learning on a personal level mm. around this too? So it makes sense because if you only externalise it for someone else, I think we don't empathically feel it for our clients as well. And we've got to put ourselves in the um, shoes of our clients often. And I think this book... Um, and the videos that accompanied and the app that accompanied and that the stillness that accompanied many of the thoughts around this actually gave me an introspection into positive intelligence that wasn't, wow, wow, I'm fabulous, this is amazing and, and I will get through all my saboteurs, but actually grounded me um, in terms of coaching to stop, pause, take a breath and really reflect on better questions to ask, better situations to explore. And um, I've got, I've actually got the book here if anyone's interested uh, to, to have a look at it. And I, I don't often promote other things like this because it's all subjective to, right. but I do think that there's a lot to be gained from looking at the different intelligences that we have. And there are many, many intelligences and that's what's explored here. 
So the book does um, bring up, and I think the the part that I found most relevant was when it talked about the different saboteurs that um, uh, I guess can get in our way at various points in time. And it encourages you to take a little test to work out what saboteurs are um, perhaps your greatest obstacles at that point in time. And I think you and I shared a little bit of a laugh about that because we may have shared a couple of the leading saboteurs uh, and I'm very comfortable to share that uh, mine came out as a controller, hyperachiever and restless, which sounds like a terrific description. Um, but um, the, the point I wanted to make about some of those, Ricky, is that when you read behind the description of some of those um, labels, it talked very much about things that I think are very common themes for a lot of females in leadership. And, you know, one spoke about that perpetual busyness, um, you know, busy and exhaustion and jumping from one thing to the next and not necessarily remaining sort of focused. Um, the other one was being dependent on external recognition for your kind of self-acceptance and worth. And I wondered, you know, you do coach an extraordinary range of individuals. Are there common themes that you see come through with people that are approaching you? There are common and then there are not so common, but whatever they are, they're, they're somebody's theme and that, that's what we've got to work on. Um, I, I guess, it, first of all, I'll say that it gives people comfort to know that they're not alone. Yes. It gives comfort for people to say, yes, I'm really restless too and I own that. And, and yes, um, while I'm not a controller in that sense, but um, I, do, I don't delegate particularly as well as I should. So there are parts of all of that that, are, that I think we share. Um, so the themes that are, are perhaps or the um, traits that are experienced often are the restlessness, especially for high achieving women um, who I typically tend to work with, lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, um, people in, in very demanding roles, in senior roles in their professional services capacity. And, you know, for them, it's all about being able to manage. And when COVID hit, not only did they have to manage their role, they had to manage their teams virtually. They too had to manage families at home and they didn't want to drop a ball. So they were very restless in trying to accommodate all the extra demands um, and we're not particularly good at putting up the hand to say, phew, you know, I'm just as exhausted and, and yes, right now I'm not as resilient as I, as I would like to be and you know what, that's okay. It wasn't okay for many senior women and the intelligence that was sabotaging them was the fact that they didn't want to let go of that control that they feel their best in. And, and that's if they're their best and they operate like that, we're going to let them operate exactly the way that's going to make them thrive. But, you know, the, the last nine months have been, um, have had such extenuating impact on, on high achieving women where the saboteur really came out that I, I, I have to manage, I can't let go, I have to be resilient, I can't let people down, I'm not going to delegate this because they're not managing and how can I ask them? Yes. So that, that was coming up really often in our conversations. 
So that sort of almost over responsibility of checking around to make sure everyone else is okay and taking more on. Um, correct. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, behind closed doors or like you and I are now having a, um, a, a what feels almost like a confidential conversation. And, and this is what we'd be having on my Zoom calls because we couldn't meet face to face. But interestingly enough, there was there's quite a lot of intimacy and in in what we're doing right now. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm I'm talking to you and I'm, I'm talking to, to those who are listening. Um, but the focus was really on how to support people um, and not feel that that um, internal pressure that was bubbling up and it was a lot it was a lot coming from within it well, wasn't even so much external because everyone was feeling it but it was it was the pent-up anxiety from inside that was hard Ricky I'm exploring um, I guess a range of themes but one of the uh, themes is around female leadership and the fact that it appears to have stalled in terms of our progress with um, the numbers of females in senior leadership positions. Uh, you know, I'm interested, and I guess we all are, to see will COVID be a positive or negative contributor to that? But, you know, if I ask you to think about your kind of thoughts on females in key leadership positions, and I see two areas come up time and time again. One is that there are some structural challenges. The other one is that there's largely internal barriers for us to work through. And you and I have touched on some of the internal barriers this morning. Do you have any observations on the structural side of things or does that comment around COVID and does it bring any thoughts up for you? Yeah, it does. And it's actually their positive thoughts, interestingly enough. Um, I, I think in a way, Co this opportunity we have an opportunity now to to reset uh, and re reconsider how we might progress um, there doesn't seem to me to be the the same mindset going into 2021 as there was last year but we could blame a lot of things on COVID last year and we did mm. uh, it's because of COVID it's because now people say look we're just going to get back to work we've got to get stuff done um, and how are we actually going to do it better so it's almost given us permission to say it, it wasn't fabulous beforehand. Um, and now there are so many things that we can reset. What can we actually do that's going to enhance um, uh, our, our business, our reputation, our brand and our, and our personal brand as well? Mm. And, and this is the structural changes that I'm seeing happen because everybody genuinely now wants to create a better workplace. Uh, and, and there is a calling for all of us to contribute in, in better ways and different ways. And, and we've got a legitimate opportunity to do that. We perhaps didn't have that 12 months ago. But now we actually do. So if you consider that the structure is there and it's going to block you, now we, we can actually reconstruct the narrative, reconstruct the conversation to say it's we, we can look at this um, leadership uh, opportunity now to drive business with as a commercial imperative to, to change the way we do business. And we, with a plan in place, um, you know, that playbook, as everyone's talking about writing the playbook, this is an opportunity to look at the structures, refine those that didn't work, kick them out, get rid of them, they, they weren't fabulous before, 
refine the ones that were okay, and then look at distinctive and breakthrough strategies in structure that people will be more open to now because there is no negotiation anymore. We don't have time to mess around. I mean, how many, how many times have you heard, and I think people will not see this, that strategies, for example, that were planned on taking six, uh, say, even up to six years to push through or three years to push through, actually, they did it in three months, in three oh, weeks. Sure. Yeah, it, sure. It's changed. We have... We have a swell and an urgency now, and if if women can look at those structures and come up with some solutions, not the problems associated with it, but with the, the solutions, put them in the playbook and try and uh, do their very best, harness the collective energy of, of good people in the organisation, not just women, but champions of change everywhere, I think we're actually at a at a pivotal time to change the structure. Yeah, I think it's great what you say. And a lot of people have made similar observations around, um, you know, it, it, you hear people talk about let's get back to the way it was. Well, the way it was wasn't fabulous. So, you know, let's use it as an opportunity to do something different. I think the bigger um, part of the picture that I'm hearing, though, is really that internal um, sort of battle that people have um, you know, the imposter syndrome that you flagged a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, you know, can you expand on that when you talked about the imposter syndrome people have? To me, it begins and ends with self-trust, the trust somebody has in themselves. Um, people often say, I feel an imposter. I was standing on that platform or I'm doing that job. The, the, that is because at the beginning of any new job or any role, potentially, you don't, you're not yet equipped with the skills you need. It's like driving. You get your P-plates and you drive, but you're not yet a driver. But so you feel like I'm a driver, but the imposter's going, oh, no, I'm not. I'm really scared on the road, but I wouldn't tell anyone because then my yep. mum wouldn't let me out. However, um, and in, people often feel there's an imposter because suddenly they've found themselves in these roles or doing things that they weren't trained with. They never saw themselves doing. Um, they never grew up thinking, I want to become an ex and now I am. The, things have changed. So the imposter syndrome has often been driven by others, not themselves. Mm. Um, and, and what I'm seeing from a lot of my clients right now is when they say to me, I don't feel like, you know, um, I'm good enough for this role and here I am. Often when I unpack that a little bit, there's been conversations with people in their past that's told them, you are good enough for that. You can't do that yet. You've got to wait till you're more experienced. You've got to wait till you've got some more skills. Or you've just got to wait. You're a woman. You're, going to, you're a mother. You're, you, know, you have to wait. And there's another voice that's come up. And what I would love to, to, to say to people is the only voice that matters is your internal voice. And if you see yourself as an imposter, look at, is it a skill-based issue and what can you do about that? And if it's, if it's not a skill-based, question yourself as to what it is that makes you believe that you're not qualified for the role that you're doing. And often when you pull it apart, you'll actually find that um, it's not, it, it's the foundations uh, are weak and we can, we can break those down 
and that's why you know I, I love coaching because with an outside thinking partner and an external confidant I'm not a counselor I'm not a psychologist and I don't, don't go into that space mm. but just having someone pull apart the things that block you from achieving or believing in yourself um there that it's not inspirational motivation it's actually um I, I think really powerful to take ownership of what you do i had um uh, an extraordinary mentor sort of early in my career um steve morfitt and i remember him saying to me he was ceo of the organization at the time where i um, followed and became a CEO um, down the track. And he said to me at the point in time, he said, Melissa, you just need to understand that um, whenever anyone starts a new job, they're shitting themselves. And half the time, people are sitting around wondering when someone's going to find out that I don't really know what I'm doing. And it was incredible. Here was this person that I looked at as this extraordinary leader who, to me, a epitomized everything that a leader should and confident and fearless and all sorts of different things he was sitting there telling me that from time to time he had those feelings mm. and it was just incredibly freeing and I just wanted to ask you Ricky because I know um, and I am asking this question of um, of people that I'm interviewing is you know many people observe leaders and they think I could never do what she does I could I could never do that um, how would you respond to that Sometimes I just add a little word, a three-letter word on the end of that, and the word is yet. Mm -hmm. I could never do that yet, or I could never do that now. And then I ask the question, is that something you want to do? And then if, if it's not, I'll say, well, that's fine. Let it go. That, that's great. I, I could never do that either. Yes. All right. However, if it's something they would really love to do, I could never do that yet, whatever that is. And the answer, yet, and, and the answer is, yes, I want to. Then I said, well, what do we need to do to get you into that position? And it's just sometimes uh, as simple as um, upskilling or timing, um, opportunity, uh, and, and that, that's the, 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 the lovely little piece in there. Uh, that people disqualify themselves in many ways from an opportunity because they look at someone that they admire and they go, oh, I could never do that. Mm. Well, that's okay. They could probably never do that a couple of years earlier either. So yeah. timing is really important. That touches on a theme that I think is really important about people self-rejecting before they give something a chance. Exactly. Um, and it can be really simple things, right? It might, doesn't necessarily have to be about I'm going for this huge job opportunity. Uh, it could be anything. And you know, I can use as an example starting the this interview series, which is completely new for me. And you know, one of the first hurdles I had to overcome was reaching out and asking people to get involved. And you know, there was some self-rejecting moments along the way where I thought, oh, they won't be interested. Oh, they wouldn't want to do that. And I was overwhelmed when I actually got brave enough to take those steps that, that people were incredibly supportive. Yes. You know, do you, is that something that you see people struggling with, that whole sort of talk yourself more out of something? More often than not, really, more often than not. So sometimes it is, you know, I, and, and myself too, when I, 
when I first started my business a number of years ago, I was hungry to learn because I came from a, an academic background and I was training and I was teaching and, and I wanted to learn and I didn't have mentors in the industry yet. I, I had a passion to, to help good people become great leaders, um, mm. but I, I didn't really know what it was going to look like. Uh, so uh, I'm a little bit on the tenacious side. In, in fact, one of my colleagues called me elevenacious. He said, you were tenacious ago, a long time ago. Um, so I started to pick up the phone and, uh, and I rang people and if I could get through the, the gatekeepers or I'd send an email and, and say to them, I really admire, and, and it had to be authentic. So it couldn't be, you know, I think you're amazing just because to, so I could get a conversation. I would, I would find it, it could be from a newspaper article, for example, that I'd read. And I would go back to people and I'd say, I re what I found in this article was X or the interview or whatever. Um, if you had 15 minutes of time to explain a little bit more about that, I, I'm really, um, ex I would be so excited and honoured to just, to just listen. I don't want anything from you other than an understanding because it excites me. And I thought, oh, nobody's going to do that. But they did. It, virtually everyone I went to at senior level, or they came back to me with a little piece in an email, which was enough. And I started to build relationships. And what I realised is if you're authentic and you, you're not asking for something um, for yourself, but you're genuinely curious and inquiring, um, but here's the kicker, Melissa, and I want to share this because I think this is really important. Um, I cannot tell you how many people would say to me, you know, nobody ever gives me feedback on those articles or nobody has told me that they really liked that interview or thanks for coming, commenting on the keynote afterwards because um, what I loved is that you mentioned X. Very few people got feedback. What they got was a lot of, um, oh, you were amazing, and it was gone. They wanted to talk about their stuff. Mm. And I thought that was really an interesting insight that people don't get the, the quality conversations about them afterwards. But if I, if I could just circle back for a minute, you, you talked about a lot of people not going for something because they were frightened. And I think this, this really um, dovetails into the conversations that I have with a number of clients where they say, I really want to go for that job, but, you know, it's really big. Mm. And I go, yeah, go on. Um, it would mean that I would have to travel. Well, we don't know about that yet now, but it would mean a lot of travel. And it would mean that oh, so much pressure and, and it would mean that, and I'm hearing all of these chinks. And, I'm, I, and I don't know if I'd cope. I mean, I'm barely coping as it is right now. Um, and I'm barely able to manage the home and the kids and, and my, my partner. And, I'm, and if, if I had to travel, how would I manage my family? Mm. And before, before they even finish the conversation, what they, I realise is that they're actually talking themselves out of it. Absolutely. Um, and for those who went for the job and got the job, we then looked at how they're going to get additional support. How are they going to go in with the mindset that it's not going to be perfect to start with, but they're going to end up adjusting it. Because those who talk themselves out of the job because they 
were fearful that they wouldn't cope was a mechanism for trying to um, uh, just say, look, I couldn't cope at home. It was an excuse. Yeah. Those who got the job, they were equally equipped as those who didn't go for the job. And it was a mindset that just separated them. Yeah. I've got another interesting story that will come out in this interview series of uh, an incredibly successful um, person who um, shared a story with me where they didn't apply for a job. It was a very big senior role. And their logic for not applying for the role was, uh, look, I've worked here for a while. If they wanted me to apply for the job, they would have come and asked me. Yeah. And afterwards, they did come and ask. So afterwards, they came and said, we were so surprised that you didn't put your hand up for that role. And, you know, she was kicking herself at the time. But it speaks again to that waiting for external validation before mm. we you know, waiting for someone to come and tell you, you should do this, we want you to do this, you're the right person for this, yeah. before people sort of stick their neck out. Um, I had a conversation with um, a young lawyer this morning, a female lawyer in her early 40s, who has been, who has asked her her um, counsel, she's also a senior counsel, to for, um, for something, um, and she has waited three months for an answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's coming up to Christmas. They're busy. Um, oh, they're going to go on holidays. They haven't had a meeting with so-and-so yet. So I said today, have they had a meeting? Oh, no, they've just come back. They haven't had a chance. I said, okay, so now we've waited from October to November because you were busy and then it was December. Now it's January. Now they're not meeting till to mid-February. That's blown out your question or your answer. Um, so she said, what I realised this week is that he's actually not the decision maker and the decision maker is someone that she could have elbowed into her words I could have elbowed my way into a meeting with this decision maker and my boss in October mm. and the boss makes the decision but I never asked mm. and it would not have been seen to be inappropriate because I work within that space Mm. So she was erring on, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be looking as though I'm aggressive. Um, I've asked once. I can't, it's, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, and when I, when I would ask her, is she going to, she said, you don't understand my industry. You can't do that in law. And I went, okay. Yeah. In law or in you? Yeah. You could, you could insert any industry in there. I mean, I've had a similar conversation with someone in the education space. Yeah. yeah. So she's now got a meeting with, she's elbowed her way in next, yeah. next week and she's going to ask the question, um, have you made your decision yet? Yes. If not, um, what can we do to accelerate it? So she's got a list of questions that we've, we've planned for her. And she wants an answer. And rightly so, waiting three months, I said, the, the, the donkey is pulling the tail. Well, and that's, that's why people leave, you know, as well. You know, there comes a point in that chain where without having some support from you, some encouragement from you, you know, people leave. People start thinking about, I'm not valued here. I, uh, you know, I'll move on uh, yeah. and try my luck somewhere else. Um, you know, or they just sort of, go undercover and, um, you know, don't pop their head up again, I suppose. Yeah, just on that very briefly, um, you can leave, but if you don't resolve a way, 
again, another issue similar to that will pop up again. And if you haven't got an idea of how you're going to manage that and what you could do differently, the chances are you'll fall into the same behaviour pattern and yeah. it'll, it'll exist again. So short leave doesn't always solve the problem. So I always encourage people to work out your strategy if you come up against a certain problem. What are you going to do? And what's your tolerance for pain? And, and if, if it's a high tolerance and you can cop it, are you at, what are you learning? You know, mm. often they'll say, I'm, not, I'm learning and I'm not leading. Ricky, um, you mentioned on the way through that part of the decision-making for this person was they didn't want to come across as pushy and aggressive. Yeah. And that just reminds me of the sort of double bind um, that often females um, talk about being subjective to. So, you know, little girls are bossy, um, you know, so on and so forth. Is that another sort of theme or you know do you have any comments at all on that not a look if you'd asked me that question a couple of years ago I would have said that was there was a lot of that conversation it doesn't seem to be as prevalent anymore I, I think maybe because there are um, a lot of um, women have been like it have been have been socialized um, about how to have better conversations and they're doing it really well. Mm. They're doing it really well. And they're, 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 they're building their own um, uh, standpoints quite, quite well. Mm. But there are still some women who um, will default to what they believe will be a more masculine approach to, um, to their communication um, because they may feel that uh, that's going to be more effective for them. What happens is, is that if it's not an authentic um, style and it's not part of who they are, the, it's, feel, it's so contrived and so uncomfortable that everybody, you know, feels awkward about the whole thing. Yeah. So I don't see it as much, but I still do see it, especially if people are trying to um, showcase themselves in a meeting but not necessarily going for a job okay um i i sometimes have observed people who are new in their leadership journey mm -hmm. who who follow what they think their perception of what a good leader should look like mm -hmm. um, often they haven't had great role models to follow but it's an important comment you just made about people um you know, getting comfortable with who they are and who their leadership style is and not, not necessarily trying on, um, I don't know, what they think a leader should look like um, as well. So, um, Ricky, I wanted to ask, just turning it around to yourself a little bit now, and, you know, you've had, um, you know, an incredible journey creating your own business and um, being very successful in that arena. When have you felt most vulnerable? Oh, I... I think every day I feel vulnerable mm. in some way or, or form. Um, and, and I think the humility that comes with being vulnerable makes, makes me um, stay focused and stay real. So I'm not too proud to say there are times in my job that I find very hard. Mm. There are times in my job that I don't like. Technology, for example, can be a real <laughs> challenge. You know, 
I'm presenting um, webinars and things to Europe at 11, 12 o'clock at night from my from my office. You know, um, I'm not mad about that, and I feel vulnerable. If technology goes down, what happens? So there are awkward moments. But there was a defining moment which I'd like to share with you. I think it, um, might, it's worthy sharing because this was something that changed the way I saw vulnerability and changed the way that I, I managed. Um, about 10 years ago, um, I was working in Asia for, uh, doing a keynote in Malaysia and uh, we had a very senior government or, um, uh, audience. There were maybe 400 people in the room, segregated audience, um, very, um, it was quite religious audience, um, etc. And um, I, I got onto the platform not having had any time to prepare myself before I went on because I was involved in conversations with the person who had brought me in from Australia. And um, I looked at the audience and there was such a stillness and quiet, quietness in the audience that somehow I, I lost my, I lost me mm. in there. And I didn't know why. I, I just didn't feel... I could be me. Um, so I started my presentation um, and I, I used every big leadership word that I, I knew. The, the, present, the, the presentation topic was how to, how to negotiate in difficult circumstances, something, right. something like those. Like yep. And after about 20 seconds, I dried up with big words. Couldn't think of another big word. And the terror. The terror, and I was so vulnerable. I was so exposed on this international platform, and I looked at this audience, and I thought, "What did I do? What 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 did I lose? My why did I lose myself?" And um, I'll share with you what I did because I trusted myself. Number one, and I stopped. And the, the man who had booked me was sort of you know, <laughs> looking like this, thinking. That was pretty bad, but now what, you know? So I walked to the front of the stage and I, and I actually stopped and I said, have you ever been in a situation where something you've done or said didn't go as you'd planned it? Mm. And I nodded and I smiled. I said, have you just wished that the floor could open up and you could fall in and, and you could just go away and no one would ever find you again? And they nodded with me. I said, yeah, because that's just what's happened. And I took a breath, I transitioned to another part of the platform. I said, look, I've come here as a leader um, in, um, in negotiation to talk to you about this topic, but I think what I did in the first 20 seconds was not what I came to do. Would it be okay if I could start again? And I started laughing because I was, I was so exposed. Yep. And I said, would that be okay? And I kept nodding. And I had 400 heads nodding with me. I said, oh, I'm so glad. And I just transitioned again, which is a, a presentation skill um, issue. And I, and I did a, a really nice presentation. So the, the learning in all of that is you have to trust yourself. Vulnerability is a vulnerability at a certain moment. In, and we've got to look at that as leaders in business. And, and when we realise that we are terrific at so many things, but a certain... Um, intensity of situation, a scenario, a person, a skill. At that point, we are vulnerable, but mm. it doesn't mean we have to stay vulnerable. And the narrative in our head 
that positive intelligence in our head to say, I'm not going down the pathway to sabotage myself any further. I have to recover. And it's the speed with which we recover that matters. Not that we screw up and make a mistake. And I, nobody, nobody killed me because I made a mistake. No. But I would never have been invi invited back if I continued. Yeah. So recovery, on, 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 own up, own up and then show up. Own up that you mucked up, show up as your best self. And I think maybe that's the best way to explain it. I felt like I was on the stage with you then, Ricky, when you, um, <laughs> when you shared that moment about, you know, let's wish the floor would open up. Um, you, you know that uh, part of this series was inspired by Brene Brown's book yeah. um, and around her kind of call about the world needing brave leaders. And I just wonder, by way of a final question, if I can just ask, Ricky, from your perspective, yeah. what does brave feminine leadership look like now and does it need to change? Brave feminine leadership to me is about trust. And it's about the intuition that we have as women, the, the feeling that we, we have an, an insight into options. Trusting yourself to be, as I said, to own up and then show up. Mm. And um, the feminine part of leadership is about being true to your traits being true to what makes you tick and how you come across. So your brand, are you comfortable in the brand? I, I mean, you know, over COVID, no one looked like their LinkedIn photos anymore, did we? Everybody was in their tracksuits and puffer jackets. And, and, and feminine leadership is whatever you want it to be. You know, you as a woman, as a person, as an individual, someone who is, a, who is capable of addressing problems and situations with their people, but fundamentally someone who is, as I say, comfortable in their own socks. Yeah. Ricky, um, as always, I've just so enjoyed our conversation and, you know, I really want to thank you for joining. I know that there'll be many people in the audience who uh, would like to be able to connect with you, so we'll make sure that we make that easy for people to do. Um, but from my perspective, Ricky, thank you, thank you so, so much for joining me um, and adding your voice to, to this conversation. My, my pleasure. And um, I suppose just in, in um, signing off with you, I want to thank you for starting with the questions that we all need to ask ourselves. You know, am I doing well in my job? Am I, who am I? What's my brand? And with people like you who are giving a voice to, to others, I think we're going to show what brave feminine leadership is all about. So thank you. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.